a counselor, a coach, and a spiritual director walk into a bar. What comes next is either the greatest punchline of all time or a conversational cocktail that could change your life forever. Jake, Liz, and John are offering you a unique three-way perspective on common mental, emotional, and spiritual struggles. Only you know which perspective you need the most. So grab your favorite beverage, listen in, and decide who you're going to call. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to episode four. Clearly, we are not mature enough to start an episode. Is this the fourth, right? Is it the fourth, the fifth? I don't know. It's somewhere in the early stages. We have not hit 10 yet, everyone. So welcome to this episode. Um, I want to start this episode by telling you how well our podcast is doing. We have gotten our first official lodged complaint. (gasps) And I feel like when people complain about you, you're doing well because you hit a nerve. Ooh. Yeah. Ready? So I'm going to keep it anonymous. I'm going to keep it anonymous just to to protect the guilty party because I know they listen to us. But uh, (laughs) she, it's a she, she said, I know I have asked you about your thoughts on spiritual directors before since I have had a desire to have one. But for years, I get the desire for a couple months, push it off and forget about it until it comes back. While I was going on a long time of just ignoring it until your podcast. You aren't allowed to convict me the whole way from Texas. It has to be against the rules. <laughs> so, John, you're rubbing people the wrong way. Aw, <laughs> uh, shucks. We should talk about that, and it sounds like the Lord is really doing something in this person, <laughs> and perhaps they, sh- they should listen to him. <laughs> usually goes better. Her. Well, actually, I, if we're being completely honest, I, I responded to something about how blame stupid John because he's the, he's the spiritual director. It's not my fault. <laughs> And then I did tell her that the Holy Spirit is probably convicting her. So, uh, yeah. So anyways, I just thought that was fun. I was like, oh, I have to share that with the boys. That's awesome. Um, But then as far as the topic goes, well, first of all, let me ask you, does anybody have anything fun that they're drinking this evening? I only have tea today. Only tea? Well, it's it's cold. It's cold. And I didn't have anything to put into tea and I wanted a hot drink. You can't put wine into tea. That'd be weird, I think. Maybe well, not. Yeah, you have berry teas. Yeah, berry teas huh. are like the tea. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Your turn. <laughs> now we're moving to the the hot chocolate season, I suppose. No, hot buttered rum. Oh, I, too. I have not had that before. <gasps> you got to try it. It's so good. But it is cold here in Florida, too. So that means it's like 66. Um, yeah, so, so, I, <laughs> so I'm breaking out a good old Guinness. <gasps> In Love it. And all of in honor of all the best saints that were Irish, and that's all of them. <laughs> all the best saints were Irish. <laughs> it's true. So much for all those Italians and French. <laughs> they try to they try to take the Irish saints. I don't know why. <laughs> Love it. How about you, Jake? I suppose I'm I'm sticking to the to the theme of the season. I'm drinking apple cider. Cold oh. apple cider. Oh. That's a that's a classic. That's a classic. I like I like mulled wine better, but you know. <laughs> Ooh, that's really good. Yeah, it is. It is really good. It's been a long time. We have a thing of mulled spices in the cabinet we haven't used. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, but but kind of bouncing off of the the complaint, I was thinking about each of our professions, and I was I was actually. <laughs> 
I, it's a it's a little bit of a long story because all of my stories are a little bit of a long story. To make a short story long, um, I I was on my way to adoration, and normally I listen to praise and worship, but I was sick of my praise and, praise and worship playlist. So if anybody has any suggestions, that'd be super. Um, so I was actually listening to a movie soundtrack, which is it was so not an adoration movie soundtrack, but it was. Um, the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse soundtrack. Uh, so I don't know if either of you have seen it. If you haven't, okay, they're both saying no. I highly recommend it. It is super fun. It's it's not attached to the other Marvel movies. It's a it's an animated um, film about Miles Morales, who is one of the versions of Spider-Man. And he, it's super fun, very colorful, kind of like edgy music. Just, it's, it's cool. But anyways, there's this scene when he figures out how to harness his powers. So he already knows he's Spider-Man. He's been using his powers, but he can't he can't do it on command. He's kind of like it's dicey. Um and then there's this moment where one of the other cuz it's a it's a multiverse situation. So one of the other Spider-Man from another one of the universes, Peter, the actual Peter Parker Spider-Man is talk, talking to him and and he's like, "Well, how do I know when I'm ready to like use all these powers?" And Peter Parker says, "It's a leap of faith." And so there's this moment where they're playing this song called What's Up Danger, and that's what I was listening to. And there's this moment where he's he's on top of the building, and he finally decides to jump. And he's got to fall for a while before he actually shoots the web, and it catches, and it works. And that's the moment where he really harnesses his power. But it was making me think of how each of us have a different kind of need to empower our directees or our clients to kind of step into the space where they have to make the decision, right? Like, and I, and I was thinking about how often we want the other person to make the decision for us. Like, I know for me, when I go to spiritual direction and I ask my spiritual director a question, I am looking for him to say, God wants you to do this so I can do it. Like, I'm like, I'm totally cool with doing God's will, but like, I need you to tell me what it is because I can't figure it out. And then it's like, not my fault. And I don't have to take responsibility. You know, like, I don't have to deal with the pain. You know, if, if something goes horribly wrong, I could be like, well, I was doing what my spiritual director told yeah. me to do. You know, so I guess my question is, like that taking ownership, that experience of helping our clients or our directees step into that role, harness their power and use it. Um, how do you see that show up for your directees or your clients? And um, maybe what are some of the pitfalls that come up with that? Or how do you like, do people see you as somebody who's going to solve their problem or do they see you as a guide? Well, we'll all go at the same time. John, you said Jake had to go first. I did. Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got, Jake, I got, why don't I you go? About that. That's a great <laughs> question. <laughs> no, that's a that's a really good question. Um, so I'll just go and see where the, where it takes us. Um, so first off, when I meet with a new client, um, individual and couples, I kind of give them a spiel as to how I see myself as a therapist, um, just to kind of clarify any um, misinterpretations or any fears that they may have about me. Um, and I emphasize with them that I do say, like, look, I see myself as a companion to your journey. Um, not someone, I'm not here to, to tell you what to do. I'm not here to give you advice. Uh, so like on the on onset offset onset onset, <laughs> um, there's an expectation that okay yeah 
like I'm going to have to do work. And I, and I do emphasize them. I was talking to someone today. I was doing a consultation. So not a intake session, but someone who wanted a 15-minute talk to just kind of understand like what I do. And uh, I, I told her, like, like, I don't mean to scare you, but, you know, part of my modality, part of my process is to, we talk about things, we process things, but I ex- challenge you to expose yourself to some things. Um, because change really actually happens a lot of times when you over, when you like take that leap of faith and um, overcome your fears. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of fears and there's a lot of suffering, you know. So the prospect that I tell them, you know, when I tell them like, look, you're going to have to do the work, you know, and not like that maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the intimidating way. They're like, but, and we won't be coming back because right, Jake is right. no fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we're done here. <laughs> Um, but we get to a place where, yeah, I was like, okay, look, we're gonna we're gonna do these things. But I reassure them, a, they're not alone. I always emphasize that you're not alone, taking the leap of faith. So, I'll be with you. And it's a risk for me, I suppose, because I don't know what's gonna happen. I can't. I mean, scientifically, I can assess a likely outcome, but it's still unknown. And a lot of times, it's unknown with how they relate to me you know so they may take a leap of faith and hate me for it (laughs) even though it was a good thing oh and that's Mm. interesting because then that brings up the question of is it worth it to get them to take the leap of faith even if they don't like you afterwards and don't want to work with you anymore like will you feel like you did a good job hmm. yep i um just recently a couple couple weeks ago and i kind of started putting this in my blog um about like therapy and like therapists is that like my job is not for them to like me mm. you know so if i'm trying to get their approval then i'm doing it wrong and i've had had a client who came in and really ambitious and i love it but she kind of intimidated me you know mm. and i was like okay and so i walked away I was like oh my gosh like i didn't feel like the rapport was there like oh my gosh and um, I was hitting my, I was missing my mark when it comes to my paraphrasing back. And I felt like I wasn't listening to her too her well. And I, I was just kind of bummed. I was like, oh my gosh, she doesn't like me. And then I was talking to a buddy of mine. He's like, Jake, you know, if you're doing the work and she doesn't like you, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and liking meaning, okay, the rapport maybe not be there as, as temperaments go. You know, sure. I drive with someone who's, who's more... We laugh and I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just temperament. Essentially, it was the temperaments were different. That's all. It wasn't anything that she did or anything like that. It was just just different some people. Mm-hmm. All that to say that when it comes to change, when it comes to healing, um, especially working with trauma, you know, um, I do I do push my clients, you know, and I and I'll par- a I'll paraphrase it. I say, can I do I have your permission to push you? It's like, okay, yes, sir, Jake. It's like, great. Uh, I'm going to have you um, do this. You know, this is what we call like an empty chair technique where you kind of put your younger self, that person who's hurting, into another chair and you validate that person. Aww. Um, and that's hard to do, especially yeah. when there's like a lot of shame where there's a lot of trauma, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- you do take risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to, what I've learned any, anyways, or what I'm learning you just got to be direct, you know, but empathizing that. And I tell them all the time, 
you absolutely can be resistant. I love resistance. I think one of my favorite things as a counselor <laughs> is that when people are like, Jake, this is hard. And or Jake, I'm really <laughs> frustrated with you that you're challenging me to do this. And I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like that's like the realest response I could expect from people because when mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, this has been great," it's like, "BS, <laughs> this is not fun work." <laughs> right, right, and that's interesting too. You're making me like a question that's popping into my head for that is like um, one of the aspects of taking ownership that we talk a lot about in coaching is that it's actually really empowering to own your side of the problem. Um, but working in marriages, there's a lot of finger pointing and there's a lot mm-hmm. of like, well, if, if that person would clean up their act, we would both do better and our marriage would be a lot better. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, so how do you kind of create that space in counseling where you're, you're empowering them, but it doesn't feel like empowering. It feels like, well, now I have to do work. And really I came in here expecting him to do all mm-hmm. the work. <laughs> you get them to a place where they're willing to expose themselves to a different behavior mm. um i usually I, I said look well, I'm, a, I'm a scientist in sorts and so let's let's do a different behavior as a hypothesis and let's test it and then when you test it when you actually do the thing when you do the thing whether in session or out of session and you learn to notice the results that's where the empowerment comes from mm. mm-hmm. the belief and the empowerment doesn't come beforehand you know, at least in my experience, I've seen that the empowerment comes like afterwards, which is interesting because when people say, oh, I'm afraid to do it. Yeah, you are. And so therefore you're courageous. Like courage is not not being f- afraid. It's doing it anyways. Right. You know, so right. We think we want we think we want courage, but actually we want competence. But like you have to and, do something over and over to get competence and that will breed confidence. Exactly. And which mm-hmm. is funny because it's like you walked through the door, didn't you? Like that's yeah. good enough. You, know, you did the hard that's part. That's part one. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. the first the first of many hard parts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too shy. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. So, how about you, John? I was thinking about that. <clears throat> um, so I feel like the first uh, there's several jumps of faith that come to my mind for spiritual direction. The first one is actually making a second appointment. Because there can be the interest mm. and the the just the wonder and awe of, oh man, I've been convicted to explore spiritual direction. So here I am. And then as we talk about what spiritual direction is, where they have been, um, what their spiritual life has been like, there's this homework that I assign of, okay, you're going to take this period of time, maybe it's a week or two weeks, with a particular spiritual passage or a scripture passage using this particular um, way of praying with scripture. And then... That's part of your discernment. In a couple of weeks, contact me again, and we'll start. We'll start actually formally doing. I feel like there is the first big step of faith. Was mm-hmm. it this just like a nice idea that I decided to jump on, and then maybe the expectation is they're going to tell me exactly what I need to do, right? Mm-hmm. But if they start going, okay, yes, I am taking this seriously. I'm going to do the prayer. I'm going to jot down the things. I'm going to wrestle with learning this new way of prayer for some people. And then I'm going to reach out again and say, I'd like to set up another appointment. Like that's the first mm-hmm. step of faith that that comes to my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the second, uh, there's, like I said, there's several that come to my mind for spiritual direction. Second is the learning how to pray and be vulnerable in prayer. Uh, being actually conversation with God and not just stuck in the, 
while I did my novena and I did my liturgy of the hours or my other, you know, reading or my praise and worship or not knocking any of those, but when it's just at that level and we don't actually talk with God, like, Hey, mm-hmm. good morning, God. Or, you know what? That really <laughs> stunk yesterday. Or, you know what? That was so awesome. Or, Hey, I'm just, I'm just here and I'm glad to be here or I'm here <laughs> and I'm not happy to be here. You know, any of those, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. any of those pieces where in our human relationships, we kind of have learned how to do that naturally. In the spiritual realm, how do we just let down our guards? There have been a number mm. of people I've I've um, directed where the biggest hurdle for them is they're all cradle Catholic. How do I actually pray authentically in the deeper conversational level? Um, and then there's like a guilt of, well, this feels wrong or I'm talking with you, so I want to make sure that I I look good for this. Like, mm-hmm. oh yes, I I prayed three hours with this, and I just juiced every ounce of the word the, and you know <laughs> I had this this extreme <laughs> constellations and like I, I remember talking with uh, with one person, um, and as they were sharing, just you know the almost like lucky lucky go. I don't even know what the colloquialism for that is, but like happy go lucky. That's the one. There you go. There you go. I like, you I can get, get it. it. I won't say it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a leap of faith for me. <laughs> um, but as they were sharing this sunshine and roses of their prayer time, I felt like, and this is where maybe this is different for coaching and therapy is God is the one that's inviting the step of faith. Um, mm. I'm just notice, noticing where maybe the invitation is. Mm-hmm. I felt like this person was hanging on to something or there was a, f- a phony, a phoniness is too strong a word, but a facade, there was a shallowness to what they were and how they were sharing. And so I felt convicted to actually broach, broach what I was um, feeling with them. So to do that, though, it was couched in, I just want to say that I feel like there's something deeper, like there's there's something blocking you from a deeper sharing um, so it's treading very carefully on where they may already have hurts, wounds in their spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Mm. And at that point, as, as I did it, they said, well, actually it's been really difficult. I have this perfectionism that I've been struggling with and it's in my spiritual life. And actually this week was not all sunshine and roses. Mm-hmm. It was really dry. And it was, mm. and at that moment there was a difference in the way they were sharing, but that was a step of faith that they needed to make, God was inviting them to, and my part in it was just poking a little bit very delicately because they Mm -hmm. may not have been um, open to sharing at that point in time. They may not have worked up the courage to say, this is a place where I need to uh, put things into into the light of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so for any session for spiritual direction, there is this tuning into the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, am I supposed to poke here or tug Mm -hmm. this string? And sometimes there's multiple things like, I don't even know which string to pull. (laughs) (laughs) So many strings. (laughs) So many strings, so many poking. Um, Yeah. But ultimately it is God that's inviting the leap of faith and the person that I'm with hearing that invitation or needing it to be reiterated reiterated by me. (laughs) Man, words today. Um, (laughs) It's a good day to record. (laughs) They still have that choice of, okay, I've heard now where I need to step forward am I going to take that step? And then my job is like, you can do it. Here are all the good things that have happened. Here's where I have seen you do that. And then depending how long your relationship with that person is as a spiritual director, you can be a little more blunt. Like for my own spiritual director, 
there, there was a time not too long ago, a couple of months ago, and he was like, he asked me a question and I gave kind of like a very neat and diplomatic answer. <laughs> and he was like, John, John, <laughs> you know the answer. The actual answer here is, <laughs> I was like, I know. <laughs> I sorry. <laughs> You know, it's so funny because I like I'm listening to you and I'm like, I'm remembering a time where I I always went to my spiritual doctor in crisis, like if I had something mm-hmm. terrible that was heavy. And so like I, I just am constantly in crisis mode. And then one time I showed up and I was like, I actually was peaceful. And I was like, I don't know what to talk to you about. And he's like, that's good. <laughs> like uh, yeah. You shouldn't always be in crisis. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Let's talk about your prayer life. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I haven't been doing that. Let's talk about that. <laughs> but, you know, it's but it's funny, too, because like listening to you talk, I'm like, it's so interesting because there's leaps of faith both ways. Like you have to be open to the Holy Spirit and take those leaps of faith to say things that maybe sound a, like a little like crazy or like maybe it's not super comfortable to say. And then even like the flip side of like choosing that thing that you do want to kind of pull or tug at because you see like five things and you're like, which one is God asking this person mm. to kind of, you know, potentially look at. And I, I recently had an experience where I was doing a group coaching program and I had a whole, um, a whole plan for that evening of, presentation that I was going to do. And I felt really strongly that God didn't want me to do a presentation and he just wanted me to show up and coach. And mm-hmm. I was really uncomfortable with it because I was like, but I had a plan and I told them the plan and now I'm going to pull the rug out from under them. They're expecting this presentation. But I was like, I'm not going to even prepare, prepare. I'm just going to just show up. And so I did. And I was like, ladies, I'm here. What do you want coaching on? And it was like a really intense emotional coaching session of like an hour of like tears and all of this stuff coming up. And one of the ladies afterwards said it was the Holy Spirit telling you not to present mm-hmm. anything. And it's like uh-huh. that back and forth of just everybody mm-hmm. needs to be in tune with like, what is God doing here? You know, mm-hmm. can we make this space for that and all be vulnerable? Like everybody's mm-hmm. called to vulnerability, like yeah. both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really that, going back to your analogy with Spider-Man or Spider-Face or whatever his name is. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Spider, what's what's his face? But in that, in that uh, taking leap of faith, he finds his power as Catholics, as Christians, our power is the Holy Spirit. So if we're not willing to jump off and say, you know, it's not about the plans I've got. It's about you, Holy Spirit, what you want to do with Mm -hmm. this session, this coaching, this therapy session. Right. Until we are able to release that control, we will not tap into the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like my, I, you both went to Franciscan, you know, this phrase by heart, the, um, the guard your heart phrase that we were all hit mm-hmm. with the whole time mm-hmm. we had crushes or were dating or anything happened in school ever. Some, some well-meaning friend would tell you to guard your heart. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember my dad hearing that phrase and it ticked him off and he was mm-hmm. like, nowhere in our faith does it tell you to guard your heart. Mm-hmm. It is all about that. Like, love hurts and being open to that, you know, appropriate vulnerability and that, you know, Mm. self gift. And, and I remember being like, huh, I hadn't thought of that. I thought guard your heart was like a good thing. But then like looking at it from my dad's perspective and being like that, that obviously again, in the right space, trusting the person, but like that vulnerability that Mm. you can't, you can't truly love and you can't truly change without some level of pain. Mm. just part of it you know yeah i like that yeah absolutely. <laughs> i don't jake 
<laughs> I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, sounds like you need to take a step of faith. And what is that one that, she, that uh, oh, God's no. inviting you to? I literally, guys, I'm literally drinking out of a mug that says, you can't read it because it's backwards. Walk by faith, not by sight. I did see that earlier and I wondered, was that intentional? Or? It wasn't. It wasn't. But it's my favorite mug. And then I was like, meh. Okay, I guess it's the right mug for the evening. <laughs> she was inspired by her mug. <laughs> a lot of a lot of warm drinks inspire me. <laughs> Coffee, all my energy. How about you, Liz? Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because I um, we actually have a um, a goal setting. Um, what's the word I'm looking like worksheet that I'll go through with clients to kind of help them create a goal and there's an ask there's one part of it where we talk about um you know what do you want to change in your life and then can you can you make an like can you set that down as an image can you kind of imagine what that change would look like if it happened and then give me three reasons why you want that change right and then you create a goal statement out of that like lord i desire insert the success image because reason 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 and and I, I love it because it gives you this moment to take ownership of what you can control about the goal, like with God's help, but kind of looking at it and being like, especially in the context of marriage, a lot of the time, you know, women feel helpless. I, obviously, I only coach women, but uh, so I'm, I don't know how men feel, but women feel helpless <laughs> because they're looking at this guy and they're thinking, well, our marriage isn't going to be better until he does these three things or he changes this attitude or this behavior or maybe even a vice, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and and to help women kind of step out of that space and step into that empowerment of like, actually, you can change a lot without him even showing up, without mm -hmm. him even noticing that you're changing anything. Mm -hmm. And so much of it is going to be about reframing your ideas and your beliefs about him that like... Mm -hmm. He's not, I would question how often either person is being totally vicious in a marriage. Like I think there are obviously those happen, but in like a basic run of the mill, decent marriage, you know, I think a lot of stuff is thoughtless. A lot of stuff is miscommunication. Mm. A lot of stuff is just different personality quirks and traits that get lost in translation. And so, you know, when I'm coaching women, and they feel like, well, we'll never improve because he's like this. And I'm like, but, but, but like, if you were able to reach him in that space where you kind of start to understand why he does that thing, why he mm -hmm. says it like that, what does that mean? Ask him to define that thing that he says that bothers you. Maybe it doesn't even mean what you think it means. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and kind of get them, give them that power. And a lot of time they don't want that power. Right. Because then they have to do something like and that's annoying or they'll say, well, I can't fix it because I'm not like that. I'm like this over here. And so, you know, I had one woman say like, you know, something along the lines of like being choleric. She just she wasn't she wasn't good for him. Like she brought the problems and it was like, no, no. Like, let's look at the gifts that you do have, the strengths that you do have. And how do those actually how could those help your marriage if you knew how to kind of tweak them and reuse them, you know, well. But obviously we bring again with that goal statement, we bring God into it and kind of let him see that desire for change or that desire to improve. And, um, yeah, but it's, it's hard, right? Cause especially when someone's crying, you don't want to be like, 
well, here's how you could change. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, like that's not the right moment to say that. But, but at the same time to be like, no, this is a, this is really good news. Like mm. you're not a victim. You're not helpless. You don't have to just sit here and wait for someone else to save you. Like mm-hmm. you get to dive into this space and see what you can do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a hopeful thing, but it, it can come, you know, in the moment when you're super fried, you don't really want to hear that, you know, there's mm-hmm. anything you can do about it. You kind of just want to hear, yeah, he's a jerk. Get him. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Support me. <laughs> uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm wondering, Liz, if you can clarify and like unpack a little bit more of the pitfalls of when you empowering your clients where they struggle with doing, with take, not just with taking the leap of faith, but allowing you to be, allowing you to empower them to mm. then take the leap of faith. What are the pitfalls? Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Um, I think a lot of the pitfalls are their beliefs about okay. their husbands, about themselves, maybe even about what coaching is. And uh, because I think sometimes, like you said, sometimes people come to you sort of looking for advice. You know, they want a path forward. And a lot of the time I can't give them the path forward because I'm not them in their marriage. I have no idea. I don't live with that guy. I don't know what he's like. I, I generally have never met him. You know, most of these guys I've never I've never had any kind of contact with aside from like, you know, hey, my wife loves your course, you know. <laughs> like, cool, thanks, you. Uh, but, you know, I don't know anything about them. So I think a lot of the time it's the beliefs about themselves or about their marriages. I think there's mm. expectations. I think expectations are incredibly painful in marriages, whether it's expectations from what your parents were like or what they weren't like and how you expect mm-hmm. that to play out in your marriage or, you know, what you thought, you know, your your Disneyland version of marriage was going to look like um, or even just the expectation that someone's going to change just because you told him three times to change. Like, I think even that, you know, Dr. Popchak, I think, talks about this at one point where he says, like, if you have a problem with your spouse and you ask them to change, your job after that is to be super patient and to keep gently reminding them about mm. the change because no one goes, you're absolutely right, and instantly changes. Like, it, no <laughs> yeah. one. Do you want to know how many years I have taken the exact same laundry list of sins into the confessional? Like, I'm 100% aware of these sins, and I know I like I should stop. And every single month, I'm like, "Here you go, Father. I should just I should just get it laminated and hand it to him. Nothing's changed." As a spiritual director, uh, John, what do you say about that? <laughs> What's God trying to do in this? <laughs> He humbled me, humbled me. Why laminate it? Oh, man. Yeah, probably. Probably I should laminate it, right? But, you know, it's so funny. It's a random side tangent. I remember my confessor one time telling me, they're all right outside the door when you get out of here, just so you know. Like, you don't come in here and they all just disappear. They're waiting for you out there. And weirdly enough, it was super comforting because it was like, I always have being a perfectionist, being melancholic, I always struggle with this idea that like, okay, this is the one, this is the confession where I change and I become Mm -hmm. awesome. And then I leave and I'm instantly devastated because 30 minutes later, I'm yelling at one of my kids because they, whatever, did something dumb in the car on the way home. And I'm like, there it went. Like, I just, how long did I have perfect grace? Like 10 seconds? Um, (laughs) You know, but it's just that like being told, hey, it's all there. And it's all going to be there for a really long time. It's actually in my head really hopeful 
Because it's like, okay, then there's not a time limit. I don't have to be perfect mm. today. I don't have to figure mm. this out today. My marriage doesn't have to be awesome today. Mm. I can work on it today. I can make this incremental change today. Mm-mm. I can fix my tone today. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll forget about it tomorrow, but I'll just keep trying to <laughs> fix my tone for the next two weeks. You know, like, and I think that's interesting too, right? Like having those actual solid goals moving forward that no, we're not going to fix your problem for you, but we have tools that we can give you that are going to help you fix your problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How about you, John? What's the, what's the pitfalls in spiritual direction? Um, I, <laughs> that's a too general question. <laughs> pitfalls <laughs> and empowerment. Yeah. <laughs> A uh, couple that come to mind along the same lines. Um, one, one is this um, self-determination. Like I can pull myself up by my bootstraps and face the sin, conquer the sin. Um, and again, a two-way thing. Like that the person who's sitting in the direct uh, directee seat is just saying, well, I just need to hunker down and do the prayer or mm. just do the thing and hop, you know, it's all about me as a direct D. And then for me as director, a pitfall can be, oh, I have to be the savior. I have to be the expert mm. in this. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was um, doing one of my first uh, sessions and feeling so anxious for the first hour and a half or the hour and a half leading up to my first session with this person, like, okay, I had to, I had to read up on, you know, sweaty what, palms. Yeah. Sweaty <laughs> palms. I had to, I had to do homework to make sure I was prepared for anything that might come. Mm. Like the first couple of sessions, I was like, what's going on? But that was because I felt like I needed to do more than the Holy Spirit needed to do. Yes. Mm. Um, so that self-determination, I think is a pitfall for both the director and the directee. And then the, the other, the other pitfall that came to mind was, um, this perfectionism or this, um, this idyllic, this idyllic uh, image we have of the spiritual life, of the spiritual life in our marriages, um, depending on what, if, you know, going with marriages and family life, there is a whole slew of books and podcasts and things out there that paint everything as hunky dory. Uh, you know, the man is mm-hmm. going to be the hero of the home, and the woman is going to be the the heart of the home, and it's all going to be beautiful, and everyone's just going to pour out love to one another like the Trinity, and it's just going to be <laughs> a halo over the place. And if you can't, you know, hear from my sarcasm how ridiculous that is. <laughs> but in some senses, we're growing up. If we've seen that it played out in community in our family life and not seen the the rough and tumble, the mm-hmm. um, the grittiness that also is present, we can come away with this uh, image of holiness in family life, in spousal union, in mm-hmm. whatever, just as this, well, uh, I'm supposed to just be rid of the sins. I went to confession and there they are lurking and waiting for me outside the door. Mm-hmm. And it's and then that plays into that determination of, well, I didn't try hard enough. Well, no, you didn't surrender yourself and bring it to the Lord Jesus himself, who's already conquered that, so that he can work and transform that in you. Um, and then, you know, when you have this image of something and you failed it, and then Satan's just like, ah, see, you couldn't do it. You are just a jerk. Mm-hmm. You're just a, you know, a mm-hmm. piece of filth. Why are you even trying this holiness route? Uh, mm-hmm. It's nothing like what what the images you've concocted with are. So I feel like those are two really big pitfalls um, with spiritual direction and how that plays out in marriage. Um, you know, you made me think of my my coach one time said, um, 
turn that on its head and say, you're right. I, I can't do it. Like when mm-hmm. Satan accuses you, yeah. like, you know, you can't do it. You're right. I can't. I better go talk to God. You know, yep. like, mm-hmm. like just, just own it again, that mm-hmm. ownership, right? Just be like, I can't do this alone. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have to mm-hmm. lean on God completely to do this in me. I, we just listened to, we listened to St. Stories for Kids. It's a podcast by um, Shining Light Dolls. And she has these fabulous little like five to seven minute podcasts with like a very unique story from a saint's life. And she Mm -hmm. did one from St. Francis of Rome and we were listening to it today and I didn't know anything about Francis of Rome, but she was, um, she was married. She wanted to be a nun. Her parents were like, you got to get married. She discerned that God was calling her to that as well. She was married for like 40 years. And when he passed away, she became superior of an order that she founded. But for those 40 years, she was a very devoted wife and mother. And Mm. she had this sentence that she said where sometimes a woman needs to leave God at the altar to find him in her daily duties. Mm. And they had this whole story about this time where like, I guess they had like a very large family home and she and her sister-in-law would go to the family chapel and pray morning prayers together every morning. So she goes and the like four times her husband interrupts her prayer looking for things that he can't find. And (laughs) the way she does it in the podcast is he's got this super annoying voice and he's like, Francis. And it's like, Oh, like, like I'm getting like my blood pressure is rising. Cause I'm like, she's just trying to pray. (laughs) But like, but it was so good because she just kept going. And she like, Mm. from her perspective, God was calling like mm-hmm. God was asking her to step away from prayer, you yeah. know, and I, and I heard somebody else recently say that too on a podcast or something where they were, Oh no, no, no. It was Danielle Bean in her book, uh, whisper. And she was talking about how God, like God wants you when your family is calling you, like God mm-hmm. wants yeah. to tell you about his bad day at work. God wants to tell you the long involved Minecraft story, like yeah. all of these moments. And it yeah. was just like, if you could live like that, the yeah. mess would become more beautiful because you could just be like, this is what God is calling me to in this moment. I remember I don't like to answer my phone. And John knows this because when I first got a phone, everybody, Aaron, Aaron, your John's wife, Aaron made a, um, made a, uh, my very first ringtone was Aaron telling me to pick up my phone. <laughs> um, Cause I don't answer my phone and I still struggle with it. But, um, I remember my spiritual director telling me it's always Jesus calling. Let Jesus interrupt your day. You know, and, and so I think, yeah, that's so true. Like we have this kind of idyllic idea that, you know, marriage is this beautiful vocation that's going to get you to heaven and children are this like blessing 110% all the way. There's nothing negative about them at all. You know, like all of these things. I remember the most honest thing I ever heard a priest say in a homily was children are inconvenient. And this dad of a very rambunctious toddler in front of me just died laughing. Like, (laughs) but he was basically saying like, embrace it. That's a good thing. Like it calls you outside of yourself and makes you give more fully. And, and if it was, you know, but, but yeah, like we have that idea that the spiritual life is supposed to be almost monastic all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that actually, the, the pop checks, oh. they have a whole thing and this is its own episode and they have their own like six episodes on the, the liturgy of domestic church life. And one of the ah, things that they start off with dang. is that most of our images of prayer as family comes from the, the yep. monastic tradition. And so we've inherited this thing of. Uh, this idea of, well, there's faith in our prayer mm-hmm. life and there is life and those two are separate. And so, you know, these yeah. these necessary things of family are interruptions to my holiness. But Whoa. but mm. for domestic church and, and living in the world, this is our prayer life. Um, and they tell a story of, of how 
um, there was a day they were uh, preparing one of their kids for first reconciliation and working through the, uh, the Beatitudes. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know the Beatitudes. No, it wasn't the Beatitudes. <laughs> it was the Corporate Works of Mercy. Sorry. Wrong list. Wrong list. <laughs> I know that from a song. I can still sing it from when I learned it. Anyway, I won't do that. <laughs> so they were working through the Corporate Works of Mercy, uh, feeding the hungry, hungry, you get drink to the thirsty. Mm. And parenting, the, parenting. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's what the, the nine-year-old was telling his mom. Mommy, you do all these. And it dawned on her Aww. that every time she was doing the dishes or doing these things, she was working the works of mercy in her daily life. Yeah. It didn't, she didn't have to go to the soup kitchen to feed the hungry. The hungry yeah. were in her wow. place. And so I don't know why we're on the tangent of this, but it's it's connected. It's cool. It's a cool tangent. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, it made me think of um, the, uh, my... <laughs> Well, side tangent, my sister-in-law, uh, her biblical version of it is that um, she said she always feels like the, I was thinking of clothe the naked, and she says she always feels like the serpent in the Garden of Eden telling Adam and Eve that they're naked. <laughs> she's, like, That's she's like, do you not realize that you don't have clothes on? <laughs> like, it's so accurate, running around all day long putting clothes on small people. But no, I like that because it just, um, yeah, it just, it. It makes it so tangible. It makes me think of Mother Teresa when people would come to her and say, like, what can I do? How can I serve as a missionary? And she was like, go home. Go home and love your family. Like, that's your mission. That's that's the work. That's the mission field God's given you. I appreciate the that reflection, how I think it's hopeful for parents, um, for families, um, that prayer life is within the action of, of the work you're doing. And especially when you contemplate that it's God calling me. Um, calling me to prayer, you know, I'm, we're about to have a number two in a couple of weeks and I'm dreading, I am so dreading. I'll be honest with you guys. I'm really dreading the nights, um, mm. just how it is. And so kind of having that as a perception that, you know, the Lord is calling me to prayer. I mean, if we were, I mean, if we were like the monastic monks, I mean, seven times a day is a I'm sure it's a pain too, you know. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, okay, you know, at least I get all my prayer in, you know, in the middle of the night, so that I got the rest of the day free. Right. It's like, okay, you know, when when it comes to you know, baby crying in the night. So um, I, I appreciate that that reflection there with with how to see it, you know, and how to pray with that. I think it's helpful too. Where I'll be honest with you guys too, like you know, we'll pray the rosary, you know, we'll say our like evening prayers while like brushing our teeth or oh, you know, yeah. brushing Austin's teeth or doing the dishes and he's in the bathtub, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm thinking I'm, I have this vision of like, oh, we're supposed to be all gathered around and all sit nicely uh-huh. um, and praying all together and everyone's paying attention. And I'm like, mm. I don't even pay attention. You're right. Oh, gosh. Like, you know what's the worst? The worst is when the kids are sick and you and your spouse split duties to go to mass and then you mm. find out that you distract yourself. That's the worst. Because like... <laughs> I like to, like, I can blame the kids most of the time. I can be like, well, Uh I can't pray because everyone's climbing all over me and asking me for stuff and grabbing at my skirt. And then I'm by myself in mass because my family's homesick and Albert's taking care of them. And then we'll switch off later. And I'm sitting there going like, oh, her earrings are pretty. I wonder where she got those shoes. This priest homilies are so long. Like, I'm like, I'm a child. Oh my gosh. I'm the toddler. (laughs) And it's it's frustrating, man. <laughs> but the beauty of of our faith is that we know we can begin again. Okay, now I know I've mm-hmm. fallen. Mm-hmm. Now I need to get back up. Yeah. 
and continue on. I'm sorry, Lord, I did it again. But mm-hmm. like imitating Jesus who fell three times on his road to, to the cross, he got back up to finish the job. So even when we're in mass and we go, you know what? This homily is a little bit much. We can, <laughs> if, we, if we recognize it, that's a first jump of faith, Step. recognizing mm-hmm. it. Um, but when we recognize it, go, okay, Lord, I'm sorry for this. Let's mm-hmm. begin again and move forward. I, or even sometimes engaging the Lord and being like, you can't like this homily either, can you? Right. Like, I like this, I mean, can you, Lord, make him speak something that is helpful to someone in this room, but let's just accept it's not working for me. <laughs> yeah, right, It's right. not going to be me. Yep. It's <laughs> not going to be me. Oh, man. Are you crying, awesome. Jesus, because I'm crying? <laughs> We're both sad right now, right? This is a rough homily. You hearing this? You oh. hearing this? <laughs> Get the nerve of this guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Jacob, I don't think we heard from you some of the the pitfalls unless I was completely zoned out, which is also possible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Pitfalls and um, helps. Yeah. Um, So I think I would echo what you guys have shared, just the beliefs and uh, perceptions of how we see ourselves, how we see God and and, and others. You know, Mm -hmm. I think if I had to pinpoint that's maybe uniquely distinct is me um the therapist um again i'm human and so therefore i make mistakes yeah surprising (laughs) go figure go figure and i'll be honest with you i think i don't know i don't know i mean i mean full disclosure i mean i go to my own therapist you know and so like Mm -hmm. every therapist is unique and different so i'm not gonna make a judgment call as to all therapists do this, but I have a hunch that there's a tendency to be perceived or to want to be perceived as the savior um, mm-hmm. or the person with the answers or the, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the master of the, of the, the therapy session. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there's a, there's a book that I, recommend to all who are pursuing counseling as counselors. Uh, it's called Gift of Therapy. And this is uh, Dr. Yolam, who's, you know, renowned in his research and, and work in, in psychotherapy. Um, and he mentioned this concept that, you know, in um, session are two, you know, essentially the two masters, right? Um, you have the therapist, the master of the science, I guess, and the art of therapy. But then the client ha- is their own master. You know, they're the ones who know themselves the most. So to assert that I'm your savior because I know exactly what you need, it's like, well, no, mm-hmm. you don't. You know, you can make observations and, 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 you know, lead them to a deeper understanding. But at the end of the day, they have to make those choices for themselves. And to assert I know more than you do, it's like, well, they've been living with themselves. And they've been living with themselves a lot longer mm-hmm. in that level of depth of pain or suffering. So she assured that that's not true. And when I'm and so so it kind of sets up this idea that like if I gotta I gotta be aware of like my perception of myself in session because mm-hmm. if, again like I said earlier like if I'm trying to make them like me, we may miss something. Mm-hmm. You know, I may miss something that could have been an opportunity for them to grow and to take that leap of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, it's neat though, and and one of the reasons. I emphasize with my clients is honesty between me and them. You know, um, I can, I mean, I have, I could, I love tell, telling stories. 
Um, but I remember one in particular that, you know, someone came to me. I had this good rapport with them. And, you know, she's like, um, you know, she, she mentioned like, oh, I want to, she wanted to change something up and say, yeah, great. That's awesome. Let's do it. Um, but then she started like to tear up. It's like, well, what's going on? And she says she was afraid of telling me because she was afraid of like how I would respond to her. Now it's Aww. interesting because like I pray to God that I don't come off from this place where like they're afraid of me mm-hmm. in the sense of like legitimately there's good reasons to. A lot of it is that negative self-perception of myself to which then I project onto others, a.k.a. my therapist. But the honesty there was her vulnerability in being honest how that perception of me was an obstacle, mm-hmm. you know? And for what it's worth, it's like, okay, yeah, like maybe I didn't do anything, but it was still a me thing. And I encourage my clients to be honest of how they are experiencing me, not just the process of therapy. Mm-hmm. And I have had my clients call me out, like legitimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one time, you know, um, I was like, what's going on? Essentially, not like that, but <laughs> the point. And the, and she and she's like, Jake, I I think you're pushing me too hard. You know, mm. um, I've been working through this, and I know I'm going my own pace, and I'm doing the work, but I think you're rushing it. Mm. You know, and I'm thinking in my back, I'm like, yeah, I, I talk too much, and I just go through <laughs> things way too quickly. <laughs> but she recognized that <laughs> I was the obstacle. You know, and I, I love therapy. It's for so many reasons, but I think one of the things that really kind of brings me to that joy is my client's ability to be vulnerable with me about me and them. Mm. Um, I tell them all the time, like, this is a human-human interaction. So there's going to be flaws. There's going to be issues. There's going to be ways that we need to both communicate, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I'll be honest with you, too. I think one of the pitfalls for me as a therapist is my lack of vulnerability. And mm. there's always the guidelines of as long as it's for the best best interest of the client, do you self-disclose? Mm-hmm. But even self-disclosing to, you know, client, um, when you make that mention, this is how I was feeling. It kind of was, you know, put me on my heels a little bit. I wonder if you felt the same way or what's going on there. If I don't, if I'm not honest with them mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to bring this up. Again, it, it, you miss an opportunity for self, for continual exploration that could have led to significant change. Um, So there has been some interesting observations that I can become the pitfall, Mm -hmm. whether it's because of a misconception and then we have to pass that, or it's because I talk talk too damn fast or talk (laughs) way too much, way too much. My client today, my client today, she walked out and she said, hey, I talked more than you did. Shoot. Shoot. You know what? I mean, though, there is there is some serious like I struggle with that because I get excited and Mm, I run my mm -hmm. mouth, as I'm sure people have noticed by now. And I just (laughs) I just like but I don't think about it until afterwards. And I'm like, how long was I talking? Like, oh, my Mm. gosh, because I'll I'll do that sometimes. Like we're supposed to hold space. Right. And then sometimes I get excited and I like. But even the self-disclosure, what you were saying about vulnerability, it was making me think, you know, we we talk about um, don't jump in the pool with Mm. um, with the coaching with our coaching clients. Like 
you're supposed to make it be about them, put the spotlight on them. Don't make it about you. Mm -hmm. So even if you can relate to it, try to keep that neutral space so that they can talk and you can show them what they're thinking instead of like, you know, adding things to their, their, but there are those moments where you can sense that your client feels maybe judged or like, Mm -hmm. this is really vulnerable Mm -hmm. and I'm having a hard time. And I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. And I'll use those moments to be more open and be like, Mm -hmm. I hear you. Everybody Mm -hmm. like, all wives think this or all mothers think yeah. this like you I want to this is a human brain thing not a you thing you mm-hmm. know and just mm-hmm. kind of choosing those moments carefully to be like I'm not I'm not saying that you need to stay here but I'm saying a lot of us have been here and mm-hmm. don't feel like you're completely you know unusual or that this is a you problem like Hmm. This is what the human brains do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Almost like a validation that this is yes, exactly this is yeah. okay at this point. Yes, exactly, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's. I don't. I'm curious what your guys' experiences as as how you build. Like, how, and I'll throw it to you guys. Like, how do you guys build rapport in the context of empowering your clients? Because I would imagine that to invite your clients to take a risk, a leap of faith. How do you build rapport and trust that is the groundwork for them to take the leap of faith, for them to be empowered? I can go first while you think. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you did you time. hear the wheels turning? I did, I did. <laughs> On your gears face. are kind of rusty. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with with the spiritual direction program I was part of, every every session over the two weeks, there were these practice sessions. And what we were told mm-hmm. and we had to practice was um, an in, uh, being in a, sp- in a stance of indifference with our body language, with our everything. Like we couldn't go, mm-hmm, or there were no nonverbals, there were no body la- Like we were in a space of just receiving. And, they, and there were a lot of people that had a lot of trouble with this. Because they're very expressive, like with their whole being, like, how could I do that? I mean, I feel like I'm just staring at them and it's uncomfortable or whatever. But they said, the reason is, as people are sharing this this vulnerability um, and stepping into waters they may not have shared with anyone else, they are looking, whether they know it or not, to you to see how you react. Is this safe to share about the Mm. sin that they're struggling with? Is this safe to, I don't know, share whatever it is? Um, is this something that they will like? Will they continue liking me? Will this, they not like me because I'm sharing this? Uh, they're looking for approval, non-approval by everything we're doing. Uh, so we had to get used to that. And by finding our natural space of indifference, they were saying, you know, we can, um, we can build up a rapport and, you know, Year one is like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but having tried to practice that over over the years now, um, it really does work for my style of direction, just being in this indifference. Mm. And I can tell when someone is sharing or teeter-tottering on looking for what I'm going to react mm-hmm. um, and just remaining indifferent, like being super aware of how I'm reacting and responding to them. And I feel like with the time and with the reassurance that you shared this really drastic thing with me and I gave no, um, no response, no drastic response, um, that yes, we can have this relationship. You're not going to, 
I'm not going to reject you because you shared this deep, dark thing or this really awesome thing that may be, you know, insignificant. Yeah, I would say I, I had a similar experience. We were taught to hold the space and to keep our expressions very unemotional and just listen. And I remember uh, early on, one of um, one of the clients that I had gave me a lot of very heavy things in our first session. And her comment at the end was that I was the first person she'd gone to for help who she hadn't felt judged by. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was such a an affirmation for me to I was just so grateful that I'd been able to provide that for her that even other professionals hadn't been able to provide that space. Mm-hmm. And I was a new coach, but I had been taught how to give that to people. And I think that that's part of it. I think another part of it is, you know, a lot of the time I'm coaching women on their husbands and women want help, but they don't want you to judge their husband either. Mm, like mm, they're, they're upset with him, but they don't want you to be upset with him Hmm. and they don't want you to not forgive him. And I felt that a few times in sessions where women would be like, I want to share this with you, but he's a good guy. Like he's a good guy. Don't say anything bad about him. He's a good guy, but, but we have this problem and Mm. just giving them space to be like, yeah, yeah, I don't like. I don't judge him. He's probably a great guy. I would probably love him. You should bring him over. We'll have drinks. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, he has excellent taste in women. You know, I just <laughs> like. <laughs> there's, there's just this, the, the, this receptivity of like whatever mm. you throw at me, I'm okay, because ultimately, like we've been saying here, I don't have to fix it. I'm giving you mm-hmm. tools to fix it. So it's not like you're handing it to me and asking me to unravel it. Like you're talking out loud and I'm hearing different cues and mm-hmm. triggers and things and I'm able to show them to you in a way that maybe you haven't seen them before. And then you have tools to go back and fix it yourself. Mm-hmm. But you can't scare me yeah. with your right. problem because it's your problem and you're not scared by it and you're figuring it out how to fix it. I'm just... I'm your, I'm essentially an elevated sounding board for you. Mm-hmm. And I've got some tools that I can help you, you know, go change your life with. But it's, you know, and, and again, sort of like you were saying, John, about spiritual direction, the flip side is I know that when I'm letting God be the coach and I'm sort of just the, the admin taking the notes, the minutes <laughs> at the meeting, like when I can sit in that space and be like, I don't have to be. I'm just the intern. Like, yeah. God is the CEO. I'm the intern. I happen to be taking notes today, but he's doing the work. The, the stakes are very low for me. I don't have anything to be scared of, and I don't have to feel like I'm the savior. I'm the super. I'm not the superhero. I'm not the one swinging on the web. Yeah. I'm. I'm the mentor who told you it takes a leap of faith, but. Yeah. I'm not the one actually taking that leap. I have my own leaps of faith I'm taking in my personal life. But this moment here, this is about your leap of faith. We're shining the spotlight on you. We're giving you the tools you need so that you feel confident to take that leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I, uh, I appreciate your, your perceptions, perspectives. Um, and I think there's, there's always a middle because where the middle is, there's the virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, not middle as in like lukewarm, but you don't want to do extremes because I'm going to kind of, push back a little bit maybe um, or just kind of make some observations that I agree you need to hold the space and I have had many clients who would be who would say yeah like yeah the therapist I went before like 
you know, got really upset and just started talking about the story or the problems. Mm. And I'm like, come on, mm. gosh, that sucks. Yeah. And or I have had clients who, which is interesting, because this is, this, this is going to be distinct, who said like, oh, my therapist before this, like when I told them my trauma story, like they started bawling. Just like the first session. It's like, okay, yeah. Like Interesting. you wow. do not want to communicate you are too much. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I love that phrasing. And honestly, I think I think it was the first episode where Liz, you you made the observation that John holds the space well. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I was like, man, that's a gift. That's an incredible gift to just hold the space. So I want to just clarify that I agree with you guys in, in understanding that reality. Except. Except but. <laughs> except but. I'm not. I, I, I tell my clients all the time that I focus on language. Language. And so the language used, John, and again, like indifference. I'm not a big fan of that particular language. I know where you're going at. So it's not mm-hmm. to say the principle. It's just the language. Because in what I've noticed is that I need to either mirror or learn to be engaged within the emotions. Um, where sometimes they do look for it so they don't feel crazy. You know, there have been many times where, you know, in proportion to my rapport and trust with my clients, and a lot of my, you know, a lot of my female clients um, would just be in like these, you know, crappy crappy uh, uh relationships or they've been hurt in some way of, of men and they they're telling me their stories and i found that when i just like empathize and not just with my words because 90 percent of language is through your body but like empathize like a hmm like i'm frustrated with them it tells them to like no like oh oh yeah that's an i was wronged you know, it was like a confirmation of what they been needing to to notice. You know, so a lot of times the skill of noticing can be kind of learned through the witness of the therapist that, hmm, okay, I noticed my therapist is getting like, you know, this frown. I see, okay, well, something's going on. It's like, oh, he's, he's picking something up. You know, let me be attuned to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um so there's 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 a, like I think a value set at least a skill set there that that's needed mm-hmm. um, to be able to hold the space but also to be able to um, be present to that experience and mirroring them and communicating I'm here and it's interesting because I am not a big fan of therapist balling like no <laughs> you sure. know that's yeah. because yeah. that takes that take that's all on you yeah. so it's all ordered yeah. towards the client. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so as long as I'm adding any value to them in helping them, then it's like that's the standard to which I evaluate my interactions or my self-disclosure or like my facial expressions mm-hmm. or if mm-hmm. I'm talking too much. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, if I'm doing psychoeducation, it's needed because of that. And then I always mm-hmm. end up like, what's your thought? What are you noticing? So I always go yeah. back to them. So as long as it's for them and they're good, that's when, you know, we articulate these skills. And it's interesting though. So I was like, okay, yeah, bawling your eyes out is not good for your client, but crying with them is. I go back to um, the scripture passage. You know, cry, you know, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mm-hmm. You know, if my I, it's been like 
a handful of times where, and I, and they didn't see it. They didn't notice, but like I shared a tear. You yeah. Know? And those yeah. were like days where I'm like, holy cow, this is hard. This is heavy. This is beautiful. This is miraculous. You know, like that's, that's when it's the validity of the experience because now they're not alone in it. Hmm. You know, I wonder, and that's. <clears throat> I was going to say, I wonder how much of that is perhaps a distinction between uh, spiritual direction and therapy. Because with um, spiritual direction that I'm trained with, there's a reflecting back. So you hear the story that someone is sharing and then you reflect back. You're not parroting the words, but you're saying, okay, so that was difficult or this, you experienced this and you felt this, like you're identifying the emotion, you're giving a word to it, either in a more intense or less intense. And then that also invites them to share more about what else is going on. Um, Mm -hmm. But the, I, but the, like the not, um, not being in there or being in there with them in a healthy way in a, a mm. an objective way because i think mm-hmm. the some of the people that are coming to mind right now who i've um directed their lives are about service and so when mm. they see you or hear you react to their story the wall goes up and now mm. they want to take care mm-hmm. of you who is listening to them because yeah. they've been trained in their profession or whatever it is that they do as a as a whole thing I am not mm-hmm. supposed to share. And so now mm-hmm. as I'm sharing with you as spiritual director, you're having a reaction and something goes inside of them that goes, this is wrong uh, for me. So I wonder if that's, that's a difference. That's so good because it's, it's making me think that there's, there's even just that knowledge of who you're working with that's mm-hmm. so vital mm-hmm. because I'm thinking yeah. about Jake and thinking, okay, if he's working with women who have had difficult or even bad, just downright bad, relationships with men mm. maybe those women need to see a man that uh, that a man yeah. can empathize with them yep. you know yep. that like maybe maybe men are just like this maybe i'm just stuck with bad relationships for the rest of my life because men don't know how to empathize and then mm. jake as a counselor showing them empathy can help them heal in a way that is very specific and unique to their need mm. yeah, versus really like point. john you know, you're working with people who, like you said, they're service oriented. So that wall goes up. They're like, okay, now I have to serve this person because they're suffering. Like, yeah. so there's that, like, know your, know your audience. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. You know, yeah. But you know what comes to my mind? And this is just like, again, my approach. If anyone knows like what my approach is, is I'm, I'll take that client, John, and I'll say, your wall came up. Why? You know, <laughs> because it's like the exposure is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to sit here and I you know what? I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to form the crap out of you. I'm going to, and again, it's like this idea, like always for the good. But if you notice that you can't receive, well, we're going to expose you to a place in time where you can be present and receive and you walk through that experience. And I'm using that as a kind of an antidote to, I agree. Like, and, and I, again, pitfalls mm-hmm. can a lot of times be me because I remember specifically with one client who couple sessions ago i got pissed for her i got pissed at her her (laughs) ex-boyfriend and Mm. i noticed that logically we both were on the same page but emotionally she still had she still has that like attachment and that love for him Mm. and so me being pissed was actually an obstacle to where 
she didn't need, hey, I'm on your side. Let's go get him. Um, <laughs> but she needed someone to listen and be present to her rather than be on her side. I think there may be a little bit mm-hmm. of a difference mm-hmm. to where later on, a couple of sessions afterwards, I, I did admit, like, you know what? I think I was too angry. You know, mm. I, I mean, and that's the best part about building trust is the mm-hmm. vulnerability that mm-hmm. I messed up. This yep. is a real therapeutic relationship. I messed up and I was hindering your healing. Here's why. Here's what I'm going to do next mm-hmm. instead. Um, and even with my client, you know, who said like, oh, you're going too fast. It's like, thank you so much. And I changed. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I, I think we can both say it both and, you yeah. know, where oh, yeah. Yeah, it's for a necessity sure. of. Yeah knowing who you can talk to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I think sort of what you were saying earlier, Jake, about like when you show frustration for your client, you know, in a, in a good way, not the, not the being <laughs> sex with the ex-boyfriend, but, but showing that frustration, like I think even in spiritual direction, I had that experience at one point because I shared something from my past. Um, I have a lot of anxiety around, I'll just be honest here. I have a lot of anxiety around the sacrament of confession and I have my whole life. Um, and that was one of the reasons I was going to spiritual direction because I was like, I don't want to feel like this. But then I, I mean, years in, I told him the story of my first confession and it's a funny story that I just tell people. But my first confession was, um, I was told I'd be able to go behind the curtain and that there would be face to face up on the altar. So there were these two options. But when I went into the confessional, the priest had the curtain open. So he was looking at me and I was like, what the what? Like, everyone lied to me. And I just tell this story like all funny. Right. And I told my spiritual director and he looked at me so seriously and he said, that was a betrayal. Mm-hmm. You were betrayed at your first confession. Yeah. And as soon as he said that, I was like, no wonder I have anxiety because I don't trust the man in the confessional yeah. to take care of me, to tell me the truth. Like, that's anxiety provoking, yeah. you know, but I needed my spiritual director to point that out to me because mm-hmm. I didn't see it. Like I just mm. thought like dumb childhood memory. And he was like, eh, right. Possibly trauma. trauma. <laughs> <laughs> EMGR. Let's go deep, deep dive in there. <laughs> but it was years later. I was in my twenties and he like pointed it out. I was like, Oh, and was, was that something like, like how much trust did you and, and your director have to build for you to be able to share that and that director to be able to say, point that out. Like it wasn't your first session. (laughs) No, it was not. It was, I mean, it was several years in. Um, Now I would say that objectively I had trusted him for a while at that point, just because I'd known him for a good chunk of my, my life. But uh, yeah, I think getting comfortable was hard because that Mm. perfectionism is always there. That like shiny version always there, you know, like trying to, Oh, Jake, are you just freaking out? What's going on? (laughs) I think, and I'm curious, and I think we're all through, because you sharing that, Liz, like that statement that like our clients come in perceiving that they need to be perfect. Yeah. So when we mm-hmm. allow them to see us as imperfect, yeah, it builds rapport. Awesome. I remember that we would, and this is a quick story, and sorry to steal your thunder, but- No, go. Steal my thunder. I just okay. got excited because I spilled coffee a bunch <laughs> of times in front of my clients. And I remember distinctly, <laughs> I'm doing this, I'm doing- um. I do a lot of things in my therapy. I love it. And one of them is like, we'll paint. So I'm painting with this client and we're sitting like kind of next to each other. And across the room was um, the garbage can. And I, I had some tissues that I needed to wipe off. And 
for the paint. Um, and so I needed to, to walk across <laughs> my room to put, you know, throw away the, the, the tissues. But throughout, I was halfway in, and up to this point, I'm sitting cross-legged, like with my leg, like, you know, on my other leg, and I lost all circulation. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And so when I stepped, I literally almost fell onto my, onto my client. <laughs> Walking there and walking back to the last 20 minutes, we were just bawling our eyes out that I literally almost tripped in session. But I can, I, it was, and it's so funny because like she had a bum knee and I was like, oh, she's imitating you. <laughs> and we just like, well, we were just both cracking up. But boy, oh boy, did that build up a poor and trust. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, so funny. <laughs> I love it. So in, in all in that all that to say, right, to empower what well, I'm noticing anyways from what these last couple of minutes really have been articulating is that and if you guys can agree, disagree, but it would seem like, yes, we encourage our clients to make those leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And there are pitfalls. But one of the significant ways to help them through those pitfalls is us, is our ability to be docile to the Holy Spirit and to be ourselves mm-hmm. authentically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Rather than trying to be that whoever we're trying to be in session. And to some extent normalize the pitfalls and just be mm. like, you're not the only person who struggles with this. Like yeah. you're not the only person you're not the only person who shows up in a session trying to be perfect and prove that you don't need us. Mm-hmm. Like, cause we've all done it to somebody at some point. Like yeah. I for sure have tried to convince my, sp- my spiritual director that I don't need spiritual direction. I'm the one scheduling it and I'm the right. one who wanted it and who asked for it. But every time I get in there, I'm like, for sure I'm doing great and I'm practically a saint already. So yeah. I don't even know why I'm here, but I'll schedule another one next month just in case. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like you come in thinking, well, really I'm fine and I don't really need problems yeah. or this isn't fixable. I think that's the mm-hmm. other one that comes mm-hmm. up. This isn't even fixable. I don't even know why we're talking about it but I'm going to talk about it anyway mm-hmm. you know and like mm-hmm. and kind of recognizing that like, those are both normal approaches that you need to get through to get to vulnerability and to get to healing and mm-hmm. to get to hope mm-hmm. you know that like you have to drop those facades of it can't change and that I'm perfect and start working on like yeah the jumping off the building part where you see if your web shooter works <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yeah which requires I think for each one of us to jump off the building in our own way. And we've said that like, yeah. over and over. You got to jump first. Yep. You got to jump first. Within the session, whether it's pointing something yeah. out that we're, we're experiencing or being vulnerable right. and saying, I really messed up this last time or this time or I tripped over my yeah. coffee and the paint and it's all over me now. <laughs> <laughs> but but just allowing God to work through those authentic human things that, um, mm. that we're experiencing with our clients so they can see, oh, it, you don't have to be perfect. You have to yeah. be, we're all in this struggle to- We prefer you weren't. Yes. We yeah. prefer oh, yeah. you weren't. It makes us more comfortable if you're not. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you, so are you saying then we're like Aladdin where we kind of reach out a hand and like, do you trust me? I always think of that being God. <laughs> and I'm like, I wish you would stop with the magic carpet and just tell me what's happening. <laughs> Yes, I trust you, but can I just stay here on my balcony mm, and you just mm-hmm. tell me the plan instead of me having to get up there? <laughs> Sick of this magic carpet. <laughs> but yeah, no, 
I mean, really, I was thinking about it and I am going to out you, John. I know you said you haven't really seen a lot of the superhero movies, but <laughs> like I, I was thinking that about all of these different scenes of all of these moments when the hero steps in and the hero doesn't step into his power normally until it's a hot mess mm -hmm. until yep. he's either made it a hot mess or the world has made it a hot mess or his family is a hot mess whatever it is he's in the crummiest possible position and that's when he takes ownership mm -hmm. he doesn't yeah. take ownership from a place of joy and peace and confidence he takes yeah. ownership mm -hmm. from a place of this couldn't get worse I can't screw it up like if I step into this this ownership space and empower myself right here I can't make it any worse anyway it can mm -hmm. only go up from here yeah that's something I'm rereading Lord of the Rings and uh, just so good. Just and the movie part is coming to mind, but where um, Frodo is just like, I wish this hadn't come to me. Uh, and yes. Gandalf, I know, I know in the movie it's wrong, wrong timing, but it's still, you know, that poignant, poignant. So do all of us when it comes, but you're, mm -hmm. you're in this time right now. Yeah. And it's like yeah, Esther's yeah. thing. You were created for such a time as this. Yes. And so for, for any of these moments where we're like, oh, I really wish I didn't have to jump uh, into the power of the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit, you were made for such a time as this. Right, yeah. right. And, and, no goes, and, and no good story starts with everything was fine and I was perfectly yeah. happy. <laughs> everything was awesome. <laughs> I love that movie. So stinking much. I like the uh, everything's not awesome that they sing in the next one. It's like so honest. Everything's yep. not awesome. Everything's not cool. My four-year-old sings it and she goes, I am so depressed. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, well, it definitely it definitely speaks, and this is the last part here, I'll say this, that all that to say you're living out what St. Paul says, that in my weakness is when I'm mm -hmm. strong. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you feel weak out there and you feel um, despairing or helpless, know that that is the time to choose to jump off mm -hmm. and and f and learn to fly. Yeah, that's awesome. It's where it's where God cracks his knuckles. <laughs> it's like, watch me work. Here we go. <laughs> Alrighty, well, we went 17 minutes over, roughly, give or take, and um, so that's normal because we like to talk, <laughs> especially Jake and I. John John gives input, but Jake and I are the talkers. Let's just own that. Let's just take ownership of that, Jake. Let's just take ownership. <laughs> trying to listen, Mom. Again. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so you're saying I talk too much. Gotcha. I talk too much. I talk too much, and I'm so glad you're here with me talking too much, because then if it was you two... Let me tell you, I have been in sessions with two men where I did all the talking, a.k.a. marriage prep. <laughs> it is very uncomfortable to have a priest and your future husband just listen to you babble. And you're like, I wish someone would tell me to be quiet because I don't know how to stop. <laughs> this runaway train, which is my mouth. Um, mm -hmm. Anyways. All right. Well. Uh, so that will wrap that up on that note and, uh, yeah, uh, subscribe, leave a comment, complain. We like complaints. We could, we could address complaints. complaints. That it. would be super fun. That would be This cool. is the complaint department. <laughs> yeah. Tell us what you, what you don't like. What, tell us like times mm. that you've had bad experiences mm, yeah. with spiritual directors or coaches or counselors. Like tell us what happened and let's just, let's talk about it. Let's, let's start mm. a dialogue on that. That'd be that'd really, be really interesting because there's lots of, it would be really interesting experiences. I'm sure. So many experiences. I'm sure we have experiences. So Oh, there's there's experiences. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, everybody. Take care. And we will not see you, but we will 
You will hear us next time. We won't hear you either. We're so sorry. So sad. This is so one-sided. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wrap, it up, wrap it up. Bye. <laughs>